Rabbanit Leah Sarna and Rabbi David Walkenfeld. Shalom and welcome to the Straw Hat. We are the official podcast of Anshe Shalom B'nai Israel Congregation, an Orthodox synagogue in the beautiful Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. This week, we are looking forward to Shabbat Parshat Bamidbar, but then also immediately following that is two days of Shavuot, what is commonly referred to as a three-day yantiv. So this episode will have three parts. First, we'll be discussing some of the differences between Shabbat and Yom Tov. Then we'll be looking at that transitional moment as we go from Shabbat into Yom Tov. Um, and lastly, we will have an interview with the head of the family committee, Jennifer Loeb. This coming weekend is going to be not only Shabbat, but also Shavuot, and Shavuot follows immediately after Shabbat this year. And so we wanted to take some time to talk about the differences between Shabbat and Yom Tov. The Torah, when describing Yom Tov, says that all of the, uh, we should not allowed to do any malacha, which is the same uh, category of forbidden activity that is prohibited on Shabbat. So that would seem to suggest that anything that is forbidden on Shabbat is also forbidden on Yom Tov. That's generally true. You can't write, you can't drive, you can't um, uh, weave, okay, <laughs> on Shabbat or on Yom Tov. But then the Torah says, Ach, asher nefesh, anything necessary for sustaining yourself, for eating uh, in particular, is permitted on Yom Tov. And that introduces uh, a series of exceptions to the laws of Shabbat that operate on Yom Tov. So Yom Tov is a more lenient type of day. Uh, we're allowed to get our food stuff on Yom Tov. And this um, has a couple of really, really important uh, implications. And some of those implications, though, they're always they're always balanced by, on the one hand, yes, like you're allowed to do labor towards food that you're going to eat on Yom Tov, but we still want you to prepare for Yom Tov. So anything that the general kind of principle or premise is that anything that you could have just as easily done before Yom Tov to the same effect with the same level of deliciousness, you should do before Yom Tov. So it's not like anything is permitted in terms of creating food. Correct. Right. Right. That means in the biblical context, that means I can't um, harvest my grain and mm-hmm. uh, and thresh it and uh, winnow it and, and grind it into flour uh, on Yom Tov, but I am allowed to uh, to bake on Yom Tov, okay? Because fresh break bed. Fresh baked. I can't say that sentence. Fresh baked bread. There you go. There we go. Much more delicious. <laughs> uh, much more delicious. And before preservatives and freezers, uh, even like like maybe the right only... at the end of a three day of your bread would be maybe moldy already. It certainly, certainly it would be. Yeah. So so we are allowed to bake. We are allowed to cook. And and this means that not only uh, is this malacha of cooking, uh, which again we don't do on Shabbat, but we are allowed to do on Yom, but also all of the rabbinic. Um, uh, enhancements and protections of this cooking uh, malacha are also permissible on Yom Tov. So mm-hmm. uh, on Yom Tov, you can leave things on the heat. You can return things to the oven that have been previously cooked. You can uh, stir pots uh, with, with liquid. All, all of these things which are on Shabbat forbidden because they are themselves bisho, they are themselves the malacha of using heat to uh, chemically transform food to make it more mm-hmm. edible, more palatable. Uh, that's permissible, but also in all of the protections, shihiyah, chazara, uh, leaving things on burners, leaving things in the oven, returning things to the oven, returning things to the heat, that also is uh, permissible on Yom Tov. So what are you making on Yom Tov that you couldn't make on Shabbos? So, like, I mean, soup is a great example. Uh, soup, even if it's made prior to Shabbat and you have it in your fridge or in your freezer, uh, can't be heated on Shabbat. We, reheating liquids we consider to be a form of cooking. Uh, and so even using a warming tray or a plata, uh, you can't uh, serve warm soup on Shabbat day, but that would be a good... Unless you put it on the plata from before Shabbat. Like a cholent kind of uh, yeah. soupy cholent, right? For, correct. Um, so, so soup is like a great uh, Yom Tov uh, 
a treat. Uh, I think uh, we're going to be making pancakes one Yom Tov night. Pancakes are great. Yes, if you have a, a barbecue, you can uh, grill, right, you can grill on, on Yom Tov. Right, you can really like take advantage of. I guess the point of these uh, leniencies are not that, that we should do more work. The point mm-hmm. is that we should have a more festive and enjoyable Yom Tov experience without all of these cooking restrictions. Uh, fresh food that we can cook direct. Now, there are a few things to be careful about. And we mentioned grilling. Uh, we are allowed to uh, cook, as, as we've said. We're also allowed to transfer a fire in order to enable cooking. Uh, so that means if you have a flame that is uh, burning when Yom Tov begins, you can t- take a match and light it or, st- or you know, some sort of uh, ember. Bamboo stick. Bamboo Those stick. work really well. Yes, light it from that pre-existing flame, from that uh, candle, let's say, and then use it to ignite your uh, your grill. Am uh, I allowed to put the match out after I do that? You can't extinguish because that's not uh, part of the cooking process. So mm-hmm. that match should be thrown into the grill, into your into your uh, barbecue you know burner, or uh, leave it put someplace, it on a piece of foil, someplace it'll burn safe where it will burn itself out, and maybe watch that it does burn itself out. Really? <laughs> oh, I thought I should light my house on fire. <laughs> please don't. Please don't. <laughs> uh, so so that so that that's how we can we can cook uh, on Yom Tov. If you have a an a gas oven that has a pilot light, that can be adjusted on Yom Tov because that's mm-hmm. not igniting a flame. But if you're uh, if your gas oven has a like electric, then that cannot be that cannot be turned off and on. So then you'd have to leave a flame on uh, to and then adjust it on Yom Tov. You can turn a flame. You can you can extinguish a flame on Yom Tov. Uh, that is because it's um, it's not. You can't. Sorry, let's say it differently. Yeah. You can't extinguish a flame. You can extinguish a burner. Sorry, a burn, thank you. Yeah, a burner, a gas mm-hmm. burner can be turned off on Yom Tov, um, but it just can't necessarily be turned on again if you you know if if you don't have a pilot light. Right. So the way, meaning if you have a gas, um, a gas stovetop, the way to do that is if you can possibly turn it on so that gas comes on without starting your igniter, um, which most gas stoves, you can, old fashioned gas stoves, you can do that. Like you can just turn past the igniter um, or not turn it all the way to the igniter. My stove, we have a very old fashioned stove, so we can do that. Um, so we turn our stove off and on. And when we turn it on, we just use, we transfer fire from a yard candle onto a bamboo stick, hold a bamboo stick to the gas, turn it so that gas Gas, but no igniter is on and light it manually. Um, we have even, uh, <laughs> it's so old fashioned that one of the igniters doesn't work at all. And so <laughs> that's our Yom Tov burner. <laughs> um, um, so the, one of the offshoots of cooking is also, let's say I've made these delicious pancakes and now I want to bring them to my friend's house. Well, um, on Shabbat, you would need an Eruv to do that. And on Yom Tov, you do not need an Eruv to do that. And, and as an extension of that, this concept is called mitoch, um, you can also carry other things that have um, use on Yom Tov, and that have, but specifically that have sort of universal use on Yom Tov, that anyone might want to use that thing on Yom Tov. Um, in our neighborhood, the great benefit of this is that you can, for example, push your child in a stroller to the zoo on Yom Tov, should you want to do that. Right. The zoo is just outside of the uh, current uh, Eruv boundary, but on Yom Tov, uh, we're not restricted by the Eruv boundary in terms of where we can carry or push a stroller, and the zoo is a great, you know, classic Yom Tov activity in Lakeview uh, to, go, to go to the zoo. Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, interesting question is uh, what, what about carrying something that has absolutely, I mean, you really shouldn't carry something which has no Yom Tov purpose, but then 
uh, which could, uh, it's, I mean, people do it, and, but it's an interesting question of why and how maybe they shouldn't just carry your house keys when you go to shul as Yom Tov is ending. You're leaving from Mincha Marv uh, as Yom Tov is ending. You're not going to need your house keys until after you return home, mm-hmm. uh, after Yom Tov is already over. Maybe you shouldn't be carrying keys. Uh, but there's a concept of, um, so the question is also, let's say it comes up similarly, I can bring my Sidor to Shul. Can I bring my Sidor home from Shul? Maybe not, right? I need it at Shul. I don't need it at home. So there's a halakhic, this gets discussed at length in, the, in, in halakhic literature. And the, the sense is you're carrying it for a purpose, so then you can bring it home also. And I imagine house keys would sort of be on the same concept there's also an interesting discussion about whether um so many people carry on a lot of keys that are not just their house keys and some of them are keys to like things that you wouldn't want to lose like you don't want to lose the key and 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 you're worried if you leave the key out someone else will gain access to something valuable by having that key so can you carry around that key uh let's say you have a key to a safe deposit box in your home can Mm -hmm. you carry that key around on yom tov so um the rishonim take into consideration the anxiety you would have of leaving that key around and say that anxiety is would be a universal experience and therefore maybe you can carry your key around with you so you mentioned universal experience i want to Turn to that phrase, and uh, and as pertains to, I guess two two practical applications. One would be uh, uh, smoking cigarettes on, show, on Yom Tov, which used mm. to be a uh, very common in some communities, maybe still is a very common Yom Tov activity, and also showering on Yom Tov, which is uh, maybe less common, but maybe growing in, in being common. So so the the this concept of ochel nefesh that we're allowed to do certain milachot. Um, certain otherwise forbidden activities on Yom Tov, if it is for uh, this like kind of making Yom Tov enjoyable in a particularly food preparation kind of way, is only for the types of applications, uses of those malachot that are hanash uh, nefesh, that is something that everybody agrees is really enjoyable. So everyone benefits from cooked food. So you're allowed to, again, you know, uh, um, otherwise do these forbidden activity of cooking or even transferring fire so that you can have freshly cooked food, warm food, which is something that everyone values. And once upon a time, people would say, well, everyone enjoys a good cigarette. And so you're allowed, to, you can't even light a cigarette with a lighter, but you could light it from you, here. You could light it from a, from a pre-existing flame. And that was very common because everybody, uh, you know, appreciates uh, an, an, a cigarette. I, I would say that, and I was taught this, that now that uh, some people really don't like, many people mm-hmm. uh, really dislike cigarette smoke, it really makes it forbidden for everyone, everyone. to smoke because um, that transfer of flame is only permissible if it's for something that everyone likes. So writing in the Middle Ages, uh, the Ramban Nachmanides says that bathing, that heating water, using fire to heat water, uh, which we can't do on Shabbat, you can't heat water on Shabbat, that's, that's bishul, that's just like heating any, anything else, cooking any other mm-hmm. liquid, you can't cook water for washing purposes either. Uh, so if you can cook water to make tea or to make soup on Yom Tov, so maybe you could heat water for, for a warm bath or a shower on Yom Tov. The Ramban says, well, most people, many people don't really like bathing. Uh, it's not really something people do more than, I don't know, maybe I don't know, a few times a year. I don't know, a few times, uh, <laughs> uh, not something that people do regularly. And so it really isn't uh, something that uh, could be permissible on Yom Tov because it's not it's not something that everyone enjoys, you know, like a regular regular bathing is something only only uh, you know, fastidious people uh, appreciate mm-hmm. regular bathing. And I was taught that uh, for those of us who shower uh, daily or almost every day, or or even maybe maybe those of us who at least if we don't shower every day, we shower whenever we feel like schwitzy and and, and dirty. Uh, which you know, in this and warm weather could be five, six you know times a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for people like that, that 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 is a you know, kind of universal uh, or more universal kind of practice. And showering on uh, Yom Tov should be permissible. Mm-hmm. And and the key point about showering is that you're heating up water in order to shower. Yes, that's that's what we mean by um, by an element of showering. But but I would say even 
Um, if you do shower on Yom Tov, there are a lot of other things to be concerned about. So um, for those of us with long hair, um, you can't do anything that's going to cause your hair to be pulled out. So if you normally um, if you normally comb through your hair in the shower and a hair comes out with that, um, that's a problem. If you normally wring out your hair at the end of your shower, that's a problem. Um, you probably can't use a loofah on Yom Tov, for example, because if you squeeze it, you're not allowed to, to do schita. You're not allowed to squeeze anything out of anything else. Um, bar soap you can't use either um the way you can't use it at all in shabbat and yom tov for any purpose because you you smooth your bar soap um so you have to use liquid soap you have to put it onto your body with your hands um a lot of anyone with long hair there's a lot of concerns about not any, any tying knots untying knots pulling out hair all are Torah level prohibitions um and then even drying your hair at the end you you don't want to um you want to be concerned about any time you might want to wring out a towel we don't wring things out the same reason you don't uh, use a loofah, um, and so I mean, and and then there's also um, there's also some people are concerned about um, going outside with wet hair uh, because then you're carrying water around, and that's not mm. a type of carrying that is shavuot kol nefesh, which you probably don't really need to be concerned by. But that I, I do is, not uh, have to be concerned about that. You yeah. know, yeah, it's, it's fascinating this, this hearing of you know wringing hair and squeezing hair. Yeah, none of that uh, is something I've been able to do for a long time. But I, um, <laughs> but it is it's, it's worth it's very important uh, to 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 be aware of these uh, of these concerns. Uh, I think, though, you know, if, if you know Shavuot and even even this time, you know, in this in our climate, Sukkot, Simchas Torah, even Pesach could be like hot Shvitzi days, um, and it could extend with Shabbat in one end or the other for three days and a you know a kind of sweat removal, you know, yeah, kind of, sweat you removal know. shower, great, but just don't go onto autopilot when you're in the shower. And I would say, like, particularly, yeah. I guess, like the normal kind of shower routine for women involves a lot of things that are Torah level prohibitions. Heating water is also a Torah level prohibition on Shabbat, but right. these, are, but the only the heating water. In other words, we're allowed to heat water for cooking purposes on Yom Tov, and therefore we're also allowed to heat water for non-cooking purposes that are the type of things that everyone enjoys. So that would pertain, so that allows us to, uh, let's say, use warm water for bathing purposes, but it does not allow us to uh, to shave or to wring out our hair or to right. wring out a towel, etc. Right, and so right. So if so, when people are showering on Yom Tov, there's it's a minefield, and like really you can't be on autopilot when you're in the shower um, on Yom Tov. Great, great. So, so let's um, transition now to that actual moment of transition yes. uh, when Shabbat goes into Yom Tov. How do we make that work? Uh, uh, how, how is that uh, ritual uh, transition moment orchestrated? So we did this also on Pesach. Uh, the first day of Pesach this year was Shabbat and second day was just Yom Tov. So it was Shabbat and Yom Tov to just Yom Tov. And on Shavuos this year, we're going from just fully Shabbat to fully Yantiv. Yeah, that's actually a, a uh, there's actually a, a mnemonic, you know, the, you know, the Atbash yes, uh, mnemonic. the first day of Pesach is Tishabav. Same so day of Aleph, the week. Right? Yeah, it's the same day of the week. So Aleph, Pesach is Tav for Tishabav. The first day of the alphabet and the last letter of the alphabet. So Aleph and Tav tells us the first day of Pesach, the same day of the week as the day of the week of Tishabav. So which Tishabav, the ninth of Av is on Saturday this year and will be observed mm-hmm. on Sunday. And then Bash, the second day of Pesach, corresponds to the same day of the week as Shavuos. which is Sunday. Yeah. And then it goes on Gimel and... I think it's Rosh Hashanah or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and it, it keeps going. All, all, all the way through to Yom Atzmud, actually. It's pretty neat. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know uh, that. Well, to the 5th of ER, which is not when Yom Atzmud is observed most years, but at least... Uh, at <laughs> the least, theoretical uh, Yom Atzmud. Yeah, right? yeah. So sorry. So, 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 so indeed. So this year, uh, we had this moment and the last days of... No, no, on the... First day. Right, Shabbat. You can say, the first day of Pesach was Shabbat. 
and then from that day into the second day of Correct. Pesach, same same dynamic, right? Which is Yantiv. Um So we, yeah. Um, second days of Pesach, we made Neir of Tovshil, and we went Yantiv into Shabbat. But what we're going to talk about now is specifically Shabbat into Yom Tov. Um, so at the end of Shabbat, on a standard week, you would make Havdalah. Um, and interestingly, at the end of Shabbat, when you go into Yantiv, you don't just say, okay, fine, we'll make Havdalah, like at the end of Yantiv. You actually make a Havdalah as a transition between Shabbat and Yom Tov, and the way you do this Yes, because right. it's different, right? As you've yeah. just been discussing for the last 10 minutes, they are different. Um, they have different sanctities and different um, different rules. So it's appropriate that we would have some sort of Havdalah when Shabbat ends and Yom Tov begins. Yeah. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to light Yom Tov candles. Um, and the way you'll do that is you'll have a flame that's been burning from before Shabbat started. You'll light a Yartzeit candle. Ethan and I are really into the like big multi-day. Like you can get like a seven-day like a Shiva candle kind of thing. Those are really great because then you have no anxiety about whether they're going to go out or not. Um, and um, so... That's funny. Actually, I saw, I saw a Jewel on Howard. They have like these like... Um, candles timed for whatever the two day yantif or three day yantif they have. Those are get, great. It's so, great. <laughs> yeah, you can get like precisely the right candle for the. the, the but the, I would want like a four day yantif, like just to like not have to, to worry saying, about okay. it at all. Like I'll pay the extra dollar to like <laughs> not be worried that my flame is going to go out. Anyways, so so you'll have your flame that's burning from before Shabbat. You'll transfer with a match or as discussed previously, a bamboo stick. Those are my personal favorites. Um, you can buy them like in the grocery store. They're sold as um, shipudiot. What's um, skewers. Skewers, yeah, oh, skewers. Great, yeah. Bamboo skewers, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Uh, English, struggle. <laughs> um, anyways, so you take your bamboo skewer, you'll light it in the flame, you'll use it to light Yantiv candles, right? You'll make a bracha of Ladlik Nershayom Tov, you'll make a Shekhyaru, and then you'll go about your evening, whatever, but when you make Kiddush, um, it's a great, it's a, it's a wonderful moment because you have a very complicated Kiddush. So complicated that the Talmud itself recommends a mnemonic, which is Yaknahaz. So Yaknahaz stands for Yayin, uh, Kiddush, Ner, Havdalah, Zman. It's the first letter of each of those combines to Yaknahaz. Um, so Yayin, and that's the order of, of the brachot that you make in this like complicated Kiddush. It's really a fun Talmudic passage to learn uh, at, at some point because the I, of all the various permutations, I think most of them are actually discussed and debated and advocated mm-hmm. for, and it's fun to consider like what the conceptual um, basis of each one of those permutations is, uh, even if there is a consensus, uh, I think already in Talmudic times, mm-hmm. that Yaknahaz is the one that we actually yeah. do. Towards so, the beginning of Arve Pesachim, for anyone in who wants to Pesachim, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, the end of Tractate Pesachim, beginning of Parak of Arve Pesachim. Anyways, uh, okay, so the order is, and you can always, of course, look this up in a Sidor, or even a Benjer might have it, if it's a good one. Um, it's funny, I, always had, I recently had a conversation about Yaknahaz, and, and, and somebody couldn't remember the uh, that acronym of Yaknahaz, but then they just realize, well, actually, I'm just going to read what it says to do in the Sidor, and then yeah. I so you don't have to know. Like now that we have Sidorim, uh, you don't necessarily have to know the acronym, but it okay, it's fun. Anyway. It helps you remember that Judaism was once a totally oral culture, correct, and that correct. you needed all these mnemonic devices in order to know what to do. So, uh, so Yaknahaz. So it's the order of the brachot. So the first bracha is Yayin, is wine, Bore so pregafen. Pregafen, right? Hopefully, people are familiar. Um, then it's Kiddush, and then which is the which in this case, meaning the the bracha of Mikadesh Yisrael v'Hazmanim, the 
bracha right. that sanctifies Yom Tov as a sacred time. Right. So then there, so then you're going to look at the candles that you just lit, and you lit them as Yom Tov candles, but now they're also your Havdalah candle. So these, these and, and you say, Borei Morei Ha'ish. Um, and somebody should take two of them and hold them together, right? Because yeah. we need, for Havdalah, we need not a just torch. a nair, but a torch, so at least two wicks together. So you can have a helpful, you know, member of your household uh, standing next to those Yom Tov candles and um, tilts them in such a way that the two, uh, at least two uh, wicks are combining into a larger flame as the bracha Berei Merei Ha'esh is recited. If you have old-fashioned uh, incandescent light bulbs somewhere in the room, uh, that I think is also uh, a way to if do you this. Have, uh, if you're using like tea lights, so they'll probably like drip if you try and do that. So you can take um, your bamboo skewer oh, and yeah. stick that into one of the lights and that'll do also. Excellent, excellent. Um, it's a little bit safer. Um and okay, so right, so that's your nair. Then havdalah. This is my favorite. I think I'm a broken record on this. It's my favorite bracha of the year. You say uh, the blessing for that is hamavdil ben kodesh la kodesh. There's different varieties of sanctity in the world, and Judaism teaches us to be attuned and and tapped into each one. Someone once asked me, why is there a different shmona esrei? Like, why is it changing all the time? Why and why is it that if you get it wrong, you sometimes need to repeat? And I said it's because Jews are meant to be attuned to the the experience of the time and that different times have different attributes and feelings to them and if you're standing before God and not having that sensitivity then then you're doing it wrong and you have to go back and and learn that sensitivity um and so and so this bracha of of the one who blessing God the one who who divides between different kinds of holiness I think really uh really speaks to like a deep truth about Judaism and then the last one is right yeah so the last one is man which is Shechianu um you thank Hashem for for you know bringing us to this very bring special it to time. another Shavuot so why why is there no blessing on Besamim which we recite on a normal Saturday night mm, Besamim is specific to um regular Saturday nights I I, I was taught that Besamim is like a um consolation right. for the loss of the Neshama Yetera. You have this extra soul or, or, or more soulful on Shabbat, and when that departs, as Shabbat is ends, we need some sort of consolation, so we will smell something nice and get to say a blessing over smelling something nice, and when Shabbat is going into Yom Tov, like that, that, that. that kind of, the sad, I mean, maybe, the, maybe I don't know, do we have a Neshama Yetera on Yom I don't know, but but the certainly the sadness isn't there, because we're going not from uh, Kodesh Lechol, not from sacred to mundane and civilian days, but from sacred to another kind of sacred, and so we uh, aren't quite as sad. We don't need that consolation prize when Shabbat ends and Yom Tov begins right away. Okay, so hopefully now you're prepared for the upcoming Shabbat Yom Tov Yom Tov. That is Shavuot. We're here today with Jennifer Loeb, chair of the family committee. Welcome to the Straw Hat. Thank you. So nice to be here. So we like to start with kind of how did you come to Anshe Shalom? What brought you to Lakeview? I moved from New York City to Lincoln Park Lakeview area. And I had heard about this shul from everybody else who had come that route. It seems to be part of a Mecca from New York to Chicago. And I grew up going to an Orthodox shul. So I knew that I wanted to go to an Orthodox shul. And I was so pleasantly surprised to find that there was one that was also modern and inclusive and welcoming. And it was a perfect fit from the first time I got here. Can you tell us when that was? (laughs) I officially moved in 2003 and then promptly got another job in New York. So I went back and forth for a year. But I um, officially, well, that's my second officially, but I (laughs) I was here um, since 2004 and didn't look back. 
I think I think I only found out recently that you had this like cool previous life in New York. Do you want to? Yes, I, I used that? to be very interesting, <laughs> um, even before that. So I started in radio production, and I worked for National Public Radio, and I worked on a, a show called Car Talk. I listened to Car Talk growing oh up. All right, so what? you probably wow. heard Jennifer Jiffy Loeb. That was me. And then from radio, I went into film and television production in New York, and so I was there doing that. And then I wanted to get closer to the Midwest and family. I started to have nieces and nephews, and I didn't want to be such a long-distance aunt. And so um, I tried to do film and television production here for a little while. But um, at that time, it wasn't busy enough to give me um, a steady income. And so I used my skill sets to find a much more boring job, but that I know how much money I'll make each day and where I'm going to be and what time I get home and makes for a little more stable of a lifestyle. So returning to the Straw Hat Studio, this is really like a return back to like, you know, the prior, prof- like this this, right. this studio must seem very familiar to right. you. Right, the studio, yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. With all the Svarim behind you. <laughs> right. Yes, it's very common <laughs> to have Svarim. talk also. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> just in case Tom and Ray need to, you know, check the halakha on something. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we should probably, res- you know, adopt some of their... Um, um, Chit chat and banter. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, we should like bring you on as a weekly puzzle. Yeah, a weekly puzzle. Puzzle. <laughs> That's yeah. actually a really good idea. You guys yeah. should do a weekly puzzle and win a gift card to Windy City or something if you get the answer right. right. We'll try that. We'll try that. So I have two more questions for you. One is so the family committee is um, a really kind of powerful committee in the show with so many families. If I am interested in getting involved in family programming, like what should I do? Oh my gosh, there's so many different ways. A, you can just be someone who has ideas, in which case please let us know. I mean, I work obviously very closely with whoever is in charge of programming for the shul, and that's the Robin Need here. Um, so either they can reach out to me or to you. We can um, be found in the directory, the shul directory. Um, or if they want to be on the committee and have more constant involvement without a huge time commitment, then they also email either one of us and they'll be part of our email communications where we kind of brainstorm things and, and bounce ideas off of each other. It's not a huge time commitment, um, but the impact is, is immeasurable. So yeah. we're always looking for people. There's, it's a good place to go. If you're a very wise person, that seems to be where they gather and the family committee. Well, and what's great about it is you can join as your kid is a little kid and the needs that you have and have impact there, but you don't burn out because your kids are aging. Mm-hmm. So we continue to use those ideas, but then you have people coming up with more as it becomes age appropriate for their kids. So it, it you and the committee can grow together. <laughs> oh, so beautiful. Okay, so then just last quick question. Um, if I just wanted to meet you because you sound really cool and I have questions about car talk, um, where would I find you? Because I am so cool. <laughs> um, I'm so cool that I sit in um, actually the very back row. The um, cool kids, right? right? Um, the very back row of the women's section, uh, mostly because uh, my best friend who goes here, Lisa Carl, sits at the back and I um, always wanted, when I got here, to sit next to her and also have easy access to get out if um, my daughter needed something which she always did now she goes to classes which is amazing (laughs) and I can actually sit still for the whole time but I continue to sit in the back row all right thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Straw Hat. As always, we are incredibly grateful to our producer, Haley Leventhal, keeps us on track. If you have any positive feedback about this episode, we always love to hear it um, in person, or you can leave us voice notes. We love those. Emails, anything is great. If you have negative feedback, since we're coming up on Shavuot, on Shavuot there's these two Aramaic acrostic 
poems that we read in Shul. So we were thinking it would be great with your negative feedback to write it out in an Aramaic acrostic poem. That would be how we want to accept that this time around. Okay, thanks so much for listening.